The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Braden, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, before we get into your bio, um, I really want to just paint for listeners what the Board of Equalization actually does. This is one of our more obscure, if you if you will forgive me, offices in the state. I think a lot of people actually don't necessarily understand this role, but it's really important. And so could you just give us an overview of the job that you're running for? Right, sure. So the Board of Equalization is made up of, of four members plus the state controller so five total members and there's four districts. And given the size of California, that means the districts are huge. Uh, the district that I'm running in is, we call it inland California. So it's not the Bay Area or the coast. And it's also not Southern California because those are so populated. So my district starts at the top. So it starts at Sisiku and it goes all the way down to San Bernardino. Uh, and what the Board of Equalization is, is an organization that was created at the end of the 1800s to basically make sure property taxes are collected more or less fairly by all 58 counties. Because what was happening at that time was depending on the assessor's politics, they would assess values of properties way out of line. And then the state was having to come in and fill the void for uh, schools and roads and fire departments and such. So they created the board of equalization so that, uh, so that the um, counties would more or less assess property equal so that the state could more plan their funding and also so that the local governments uh, knew roughly how much money was going to be coming in. And so the state is there um, to make sure things are uniform. And then when various uh, ballot propositions pass that affect the property tax system, which I'm sure we'll get into those, they make sure that the county understands those and they have the right new forms to do those. And then if there's a wildfire calamity, how to handle reduction in property values. Uh, things like that. And it also uh, handles some minor other taxes, the tax on gross premium insurance tax and the tax on uh, access alcoholic beverage. Uh, but by far, the property tax is the bulk of the work because it collects over $70 billion a year uh, in property tax for, for state and local governments. So that's, that's the overview. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So these are huge districts. So, I mean, roughly 10 million people in each district. Is, is that what we're talking about? That's right. Yeah, the, my, my district is actually in the high nines, almost mm -hmm. 10, even though it is over 60% of the land mass. It's one of the least populated actually, gotcha. uh, after the redistricting, which is unbelievable because it's, it's, it's uh, 35 counties and it's... Uh, wow least populated, which is wild. So, yeah. So, so just an enormous geographic area. Okay. So, uh, so is the reason this became elected, does this go back to the issue you described in the 1800s was sort of like make this elected to get sort of insider politics out of it? Was that the reasoning? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a historian on the issue. <laughs> yeah, roughly, you know, what I believe it is, or at least what it's been in the last, you know, 50 years is that it's just to have somebody to clearly to clearly uh, like be able to contact or hold responsible or whatever. I, I, I'm a big fan of government programs. And so I'm not against bureaucrats, but the, 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 the thing with bureaucrats is like, who do I contact or who do I hold responsible with the elected officials you have, you know, if you're not happy with the property tax system, you can, 
you know, fire that guy on the election season and have somebody advocate for you. So I think, I think that that's the main reason. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Makes sense. Um, it makes sense. Have, uh, you know, so we, we, we do a lot of advocacy in Sacramento. And sometimes when you have people in the bureaucracy are deeply insulated from accountability that can, that can lead to uh, poor results. Okay. Right. So I want to ask you about your background. You have a really fascinating background. You bring a really unique perspective to this. So can you tell us why you're running and, and how you came to be focused on this office? Right. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm born with cerebral palsy. So I'm in a, and I'm, I'm in a power electric wheelchair and that's, that's how I get around. And so I, over my life, I've had to rely on people to take care of me, but I've always been lucky to have people take care of me. And that's kind of what shapes my politics is what if I didn't have those people to take care of me. So as it relates to why I'm in this race, it's very specific. My, my dad owns a business. He's done pretty well. So Basically, I mean, it was a little more complicated, but basically four and a half years ago, my parents gave my wife and I the down payment we have for this home that we live in Folsom. And my wife and I have four kids. The older two are adopted and the younger two are pretty much under two. The oldest biological kid is just over two, but you know, we have, we have four kids and my older two are lucky to go to these great schools here in Folsom in Sacramento County. And uh, then my, my younger two will go, will go be able to also go to grade schools and, and we're homeowners. And so our, the amount we pay per month is fixed. Plus, plus we're building wealth and equity as opposed to renting. And with the way that the housing is in California right now, without my parents being able to basically just gift us the down payment, you know, who knows where we'd be renting or what our financial situation would be. And so over the last three years, I almost felt guilty about that because I knew that that's such a such a amazing privilege to be able to have that. So when Prop 15 was on the ballot on in 2020, which is schools and communities first, which would have taxed corporations more slash differently than homes that we use for shelter, I worked on that campaign. I learned a lot about the property tax system. Uh, and then it barely failed by about two and a half points. When it barely failed, the incumbent in the Board of Equalization District 1, really conservative Republican Ted Gaines, he basically did a media blitz saying how great it was for California that these corporations are still going to be protected by Prop 13 and how bad it would have been for our communities. And now, of course, I disagree. I think it would have been great for our schools and communities, our community college uh, is our fire department and our firefighters. And I was disappointed that we, we voted as a state to protect Chevron and to protect Amazon. And uh, I think that was a mistake. Now, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I always want to make sure to clarify when I make a bold progressive statement like that, that I do not want to increase uh, property taxes on a homeowner that's on social security or a middle-class family making, making under a million dollars at all. I want more people to become homeowners. I think that property tax actually keeps people from being homeowners and it and it it's it, it chokes the middle class but why we would give chevron property tax protection and amazon property tax protection and billionaires and multi multi-millionaires uh, protection from paying property tax on their actual value is is beyond me and i don't think that's what voters actually want voters want to make sure they can keep their home which of course i support but if you if you phrased it in a way to voters, should we give Disneyland, Chevron, Amazon, and these big companies property tax protection? I, I don't, but I don't think that voters would be for that. So, roughly speaking, 
how what how does this district normally perform in statewide elections? Yeah, so it's it's more it's more winnable, flippable than people think. Um, the incumbent only won it by two and a half percent last time, and and since then it's actually moved a percent and a half. So it, it's gonna it's gonna be hopefully very close because I expect to win the city of Sacramento by a lot. Uh, Fresno's gotten more blue. I think I'm going to win Bakersfield. I think I'm going to win San Bernardino. Those areas are very populated. Now, of course, I'm going to lose up in the hills. Shasta County, Placer County, El Dorado County, all the way up to Siskiyou, and I'm going to lose badly there, but those the, those counties aren't nearly as populated. And it, and it is because that, like I, like I mentioned in my previous comment, people have fear that their property taxes are going to go up if you increase property taxes on California's richest corporations. And I don't blame people. I'm a homeowner, I have four kids. We, my wife and I are barely squeaking by. I would not want my property taxes to go up. And so that's why I wanna be clear that, that uh, I would not support middle-class taxes going up. But what I like to do is just do like, just very quick math, you know? And it's like, let's say a single mom saves for years to buy a condo. She's a third year preschool teacher. She's making 50 grand and that, that condo was 300,000. If she pays 1% property taxes on that condo, that would be 3,000 plus any tiny extra taxes that the local governments have added onto the bill. So let's, for this example, say she pays 4,000. That $4,000 is almost 10% of every dollar that single mom who saves for years to buy that condo and as a third year preschool teacher makes almost almost 10% of her money is going towards property taxes. Where these big corporations, they don't even feel the amount that they're paying in property tax, but they have large teams that are able to go to the board and fight their values. And they succeed a lot of times in, in having their values lowered. Whereas middle-class homeowners don't even know that that's an option to count to, uh, to, to uh, reach out to their assessor and fight their value, which is another reason I'm want running is to give a middle-class voice to understanding their property tax bill and what their options are, how they can defer it, uh, whether they should pay in one installment or two and things like that. So you've alluded to some of this, but um, yeah, I want to talk. I want to ask you about what do you see as the the main issues of disagreement in the race. I mean, you're talking about Prop 15. That's a really interesting point of disagreement. Um, not sure what's going to happen with similar initiatives in the future, but in terms of things that are before the board, regardless of ballot initiatives or legislative initiatives, where do you and the incumbent disagree? So that so that that's a good question, and they're they're. They're going to be minor than most races, and I, I definitely will answer the question directly. But a, a big part of the reason why I am running is to not allow a, a conservative like him to have such a, a, a pull or voice or ability to raise money. Like the organizations that he's raising money with to to uh, for certain ballot initiatives and stuff are completely not in line with everyday constituents of the district. They're not in line with my values. And so not allowing him to be able to raise millions of dollars with Howard Jarvis uh, Taxpayers Association as an example is, is important. So it's, it's, I say that because when you're trying to oust an incumbent, it is, it is uh, 
important to draw contrast. So there's plenty of contrast between me and him, although you wouldn't find much on the dais, but it's just as Joe Biden is not able to get most of what he wants done and Gavin disagrees with the legislature, the, 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 the power in these elective offices is, is much more than you can do, can do with, your, with your vote. But so here's an example. The Edison Electricity Company asked for, I, I don't have the number, but between five and $8 billion reduction on the assessed value. They thought their assessed value was that incorrect. And so that is, you know, the budget of many, many big cities right there just alone. And he uh, sided with them, even though they had no evidence to support that whatsoever. The board sends out a team of assessors that are, that are extremely dedicated. They know what they're doing. They pile a hundred page document as to why it is assessed at that value. They disagreed with it. It's very complicated for some arbitrary reasons. They basically tried to say that because, because climate change is here, their value is extremely lower. And, and Ted, Ted disagreed with them. And he is the only one that, that voted to give them their full decreased value. And, and the other, the other board members are Democrats, although one's barely a Democrat, but they identify as Democrats. He's the only Republican on the board. And so they didn't, they didn't get their, their assessed, their request to have the assessed value decreased. And, and Ted has done this over and over and over where he is the only, only dissent. And if there was another Republican elected, there's another close seat, even though I think the Democrat would win, you could potentially have a split board where they're, they are willing to starve local governments of, of property tax income because these teams of lawyers from these big corporations uh, are really savvy at how to write paperwork and how to word their stuff to possibly get big reductions. So certainly, you know, I, I use the term uh, that corporations need to pay their fair share. Ted's belief is that corporations are way overtaxed that, I mean, Ted might even say taxes are evil, just I'm not 100% sure. So, I mean, that is where we disagree is making, making corporations pay their fair share. Certainly Ted would agree with me and I'll give him credit on the middle class, on the middle class help. Uh, if there was a ballot proposition to remove middle class property taxes altogether, he would probably support that. I would not because I would starve our schools, but he, he probably would support it. So we agree on that part that the middle class is being strangled, but he certainly, you know, is, is fine that Jeff Bezos doubled his wealth in a pandemic while people are starving. And I'm not fine with that. He probably thinks it's great that Jeff Bezos has the biggest yacht in America and is, is currently right now paying, I think it's the Swedish government to have the bridge modified so he could get his yacht to go underneath that. I think Ted thinks that's, that's what makes America great. And I think the fact that the, the wealth is hoarded in such few hands is one of the biggest problems we have in California specifically and in America as a whole. That's amazing. So Edison went in and argued that because of climate change, which they create as, as a polluter, the value of their company is lower and therefore they should pay less taxes. Did I, did I get that right? Pretty much. It's, yeah. it, they, they, they say that uh, the fire risk increased their fire insurance, which my, my, rough calculations would say 
that 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 would be 30 million that it would decrease because of the insurance payments they had to pay which the assessors agreed with that when they assessed the value of the company that be, because they they take up so much land and there's so much and there's open space they are at a higher risk uh due to the wildfires which was included in the assessment and so they wanted it to be decreased by literally billions of dollars billions of dollars and uh and it didn't happen thankfully because it's a relatively relatively progressive board i mean they, they they're not as progressive as me the current people on the board but they understand that if you decrease a company like that by between five and eight billion that is so much revenue that see what ted doesn't understand is when he is voting to decrease a value like that to starve property tax value that's cutting the police that's cutting fire departments that's cutting schools and i guarantee you i don't know where he stands on schools but i guarantee you he's for police and fire and i'm wondering how he plans to fund it if he is wanting to cut gigantic uh corporate property taxes so let me let me ask you about um, the mechanics of how you run for a seat like this, and sure. you know, particularly during the age of COVID. First of all, you point out it's an enormous district, and I mean, it is an, right. an enormous district, um, bigger than most states in the country geographically. I would think certainly by population, it is probably bigger than 35, 36 states by population. So, so how do you run for right. a seat like this, particularly given how little people understand what the board does? Right. So yeah, I have about. 30 volunteers, some of those volunteers are receiving stipends, and then they are helping me get coordinated with other volunteers in their area. So roughly on every 100 miles, there's a key person, um, but you know, more where there's more population. And yeah, my, my, we're not taking corporate money or anything like that. So our average donation is $40. And that's how we're just raising money. And I, I think that it's actually in my favor that it's that it's a unknown because you know I, I i ted might run commercials against me but i don't see that really jiving with how unknown the office is so the fact that you don't need a million dollars like we have a budget of between 100 and 150 thousand for the whole for the whole thing uh that's we'll be able to actually raise that and compete you've seen people win boe races with less and you've seen when Dims decided to go at each other, like, for example, the Bay Area District, they sometimes have spent a million. But in this in this BOE district, history shows that um, 100 to 150 is a winnable number that 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 kind of puts me in the game. Whereas you're seeing because of special interests nowadays, the assembly races who only represent a half million people thereabout are almost raising a million dollars in an assembly Incredible. race. That, that's that's a 20th of the size, you know, because the special interests see that as where they need to funnel money in. Well, the special interests don't see it as important to funnel money to Ted. But if I'm competitive in the primary, they, they, they certainly might. I mean, some of them do. I've raised about 30 grand so far, and he's raised close to 100. And all that I shouldn't say all, that's an absolute and people will go look into it, but the vast majority of his money is from people that clearly stand to not benefit if giant corporations were taxed differently than they are today. And so that that's who's funding him. Whereas I'm my average donation is 35 bucks and it's actually getting lower. I get donations from Amazon pickers and school teachers and things like that that range from 
that range from a, literally a dollar to, you know, 50 bucks because people would like to become homeowners. I think, uh, you know, this is outside the dais, but I'd like to partner with Treasurer Fiona Ma and her ideas about having the state create a program where people could get uh, down payment help. And then as they built equity in the home, they could pay back that down payment so that more people could become homeowners as well as understanding that the middle class is being harmed by property tax. So I think that I actually appeal to uh, NPPs as well. And, that, and that's how I plan to win. Of course, um, libertarian conservatives slash Trump Republicans are, are not going to vote for me. But if I can get competitive with the NPPs, then, then uh, I have a chance of winning, I think. So it's a really grassroots operation. And that's what's really exciting about it. That's why you don't see people talk as clearly and openly as I do, because they're backed, you know, let's say in a million dollar race, 600,000 of their money is corporate money. They're being told not to stand up for the middle class and to stand up for those corporations. I'm running a grassroots campaign with volunteers and an average donation of $40. I understand I'm not going to get the corporate support. I wouldn't take it if they gave it to me, but there's only so many corporations in California on math that should not matter. Like the, the people of California and even in my district are on the progressive side that their rich corporations need to pay more and that they're getting strangled by taxes. And so, you know, the, the money has a chance not to drown me out. And that's why I believe I can be competitive. So uh, that's fascinating. What does campaigning look like for you? Um, is, it, is there any in person? Is it virtual? How are, how are you connecting with voters? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So it's been, I'd probably say, close to 75% Zoom. There has been these periods where we, we get out a lot more, and then the Omicron came and we reined it in more, and I'd like to hopefully get in person more as COVID dies down. The, they actually consider BOE to be statewide, so it's so many, because it's so many counties. So I have to seek the California Democratic Party endorsement. On the on at the actual convention on the with the statewide races like governor and treasurer, so we had planned my team and I to go to go down to Los Angeles in a few weeks, but now the convention's virtual. So that's another example where instead of meeting everybody and mingling there, it's going to be virtual. But I have to say, as a bummer as it is to not be mingling with people as much as I'd like, that has helped with the stealthy grassroots budget because it was going to cost me about 13,000 just to go to the convention with my team. Now it's gonna cost me like $400 or whatever mm -hmm. to have my team connected in the convention. And then, you know, I have four kids. It would be hard to travel to every corner, but you know, I'll log in at Solano County at six o'clock and then Yolo County at 6.30 some nights. So you can, reach a, you can reach a lot of people that way through Zoom. So it's a blessing and a curse, I feel like. Sure, yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so, in this position, is it full-time? Is it, it's based in Sacramento, obviously, but how, what's, what's your estimate on how much, how much time a, a member of the board spends on the job? Yeah, so, so the, the board gets a lot of critiques that, it, that, it, that it's not needed anymore, that it should go away. I think maybe the fact that it's paid at, at a roughly 170,000, like a full-time job, that, that, that might be too much. I don't know, I don't have the job, so. I'd have to tell you after I had it to really know for sure. But, you know, you look at Malia Cohen, who's running for state controller. She's somebody who's brought life to the BOE. She's gave seminars on how to understand 
understand your tax bill. She's her team blast out emails to constituents, reminding them when property taxes are due and the like. And that's that's what I plan to do is have people understand what's going on and help them if they need it. So I plan to treat it as a full-time job. Uh, the constitution pretty much only requires the once a month meeting for two days. So in theory, you definitely could have a staff of four people answering emails and all you could do is show up to the, to the meetings uh, once a month. And, you know, the legislature was absent for many, many months uh, in uh, during COVID. And so this is with all these elected jobs is like you get to kind of kind of decide what you want to put into it, whether it's a full-time job or not. I know a lot of people have debated whether the legislature is, is a, should be a full-time job. And I, mm -hmm. my, my thing is it would be really interesting if the, until conditions got better with income inequality in California, if elected officials made the salary that was average for what their district is personal income for my district that would be probably in the upper 50,000s it would be interesting if the salary was only that so that that elected official understood what it's like for the average person to pay property taxes but at the same time i don't think it's necessarily a problem in the grand scheme that an elected official makes over 100,000 because i want everybody to make a decent living it's just too bad that the elected officials are so out of touch with everyday problems in the housing crisis and healthcare, it's just is 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 terrible that that's the case. So you sound somebody who's like uh, who's had the political bug for a while. I'm guessing what, what what is your background in politics? How how long have you been interested in this space? Yeah, I'm always just working on different things that I that I felt uh, excited me. I worked on the Bernie campaign and then the Prop 15 campaign, local races. Anybody, any, anybody that I could really vote for that was talking about the structure, because, yeah, of course, I'm going to vote for a Democrat over a Republican when it comes time to it. But I'm not just a guy that just is like, oh, yeah, the Democrats are so great, because I agree with conservatives that, you know, we ha do have too high of a homeless problem, that the, that the um, taxes are crushing the middle class, that our schools are falling behind because of COVID. And it's like, we need to be honest about that. I don't think people realize, and it kind of opens people's eyes when I say it, is that any problem that the state has anything to do with, you cannot blame Republicans. Even though, in my opinion, they are feckless and they, it's ironic that they take their huge government salaries and then don't do anything to help you. They are not the problem. They're a small fraction of the elected leaders. Any problem that we see here, we do have to blame Democrats. Now, I believe the Republicans will make it worse by far, but we need, we need to hold people accountable. So I say that to say I've always looked for a race where I could be my authentic self, have progressive volunteers, and possibly still win. Now, of course, that's never the case for an assembly race or even a city council race because these, these are so popular. Right. So I get on the property tax uh, Prop 15 campaign. I learn a lot about property tax and I do my typical every two year search. Now, what can I run for? And then I see the Board of Equalization has an incumbent Republican and then no serious Democrat ever challenges that person, even though the district's getting bluer and bluer. And so it just kind of found this niche space for me to be my authentic self and and become really competitive. And then 
I started picking up the endorsements of all the Democratic clubs, speaking of the DCCs. I should certainly get the CDP endorsement at the convention. And all of a sudden, you look at the numbers and you go, wow, Democrats have a 7% edge in the district. I, the MPPs are going to be tough, I agree. But if I can get a little sliver of the MPPs, I can be, I can be competitive. And so this was a perfect storm for me, basically. Well, let me ask you about those MPPs. Um, why are they so hard to get? Who is, is your your assumption that they're they're to, they're actually Republicans or vote Republican in most cases, even though they're registered MPP? Well, it's just is from looking at raw numbers. So, like I've worked on trying to oust Tom McClintock and Doug Lamoff a little bit, even even though I've actually been represented by Ami Barra because I'm in Folsom, just like ten minutes away. I could be represented by Republican and then 20 minutes in the other direction, I could be represented by another Republican. So I've worked on those campaigns and you, and you just never see the even close to a fair piece of the NPPs going to the Republicans in those races. So that's, that's basically why I say that in the, in this region, the, the NPPs are harder to get, but Hey, I, I was an NPP voter that would register in the Dem primary to vote for Bernie. I'm not the only one that's progressive that is a previous NPP person. So, so there, there, there are winnable. But if you just look at the raw, raw data, um, it's just they lean a little bit conservative in this region. And I think that's because it's really easy to join the Democrat team. They are, are they are like in control of California. Most people are Democrats. If you want to be considered like normal or whatever you can register as a democrat so by not doing that it's making a statement that like they're not you're, democrats. Prob you're probably not yeah right but there are progressives in that pool for sure so yeah i mean i i also am interested and in, I've, I've broken down this number a few times there's different ways to look at it but like there's certainly a lot of republicans who unregistered as republicans during the trump years in california mm. and, and registered as mpps it was just a bridge too far for them um they still are largely conservative voters but but they just couldn't consider themselves republicans anymore and so like we that was like, during the trump years is when we actually went to a you know, more NPPs than Republicans. I know that number's gone back and forth a little bit with, with every update that we get. Go ahead. No, yeah, exactly. So you, you, you would think of that as a tough category for me to get in. Of course, I can see that somebody that went from a Trump voter to an NPP voter. But, but the thing about it is, is like, I literally don't understand why that is. If you are a middle-class voter to vote for the GOP at this point, just simply does not make sense. What the GOP is really good at is if you're making 70 grand a year, which please support me and I support you and that's great. Hope you make more and raise your family and get a raise and go on vacation. There's no problem with making even hundreds of thousands, even millions, there's no problem with that. So I support you. If you are that person, the GOP's strategy is to tell you to be mad at that single mom. You know, let's cut her food stamps. Does, do these seniors really need social security and Medicare? That is just crazy. That's not, that does not make sense to cut a, mo a single mom's food stamps and social security and Medicare. The guy making between 70,000 a year and a million should not be mad at the single mom. He should be mad that Jeff Bezos doubled his wealth in a pandemic and doesn't want his workers to organize. That's what they should be mad at. They should be mad at when Elon Musk gets all these subsidies from the California government to get where he is today. He's not happy with a few things and he just leaves California. 
they should be mad at that situation. To be mad at a single mom on food stamps is such a fraction of the whole pie. So for people that are frustrated in California, they find their property taxes to be too high. They want their son to be able to become a homeowner. They wish that their, their cousin teacher was paid more. I agree. Now, why that equals to support a party that doesn't want to expand Social Security and Medicaid, wants to cut food stamps, and wants to fail to tax the rich their fair share, that, that is, doesn't make sense if we think about it logically. I will actually join you at critiquing the Democrats to do better if you're an NPP voter that's undecided, and I promise to do that. But why a middle-class person would vote for the GOP at this point is literally, it baffles my mind. Now, I just have to basically understand in my mind that's that's Democrat failures. And that's why we need to elect progressives like myself that are not taking corporate money so that I can stand with NPP middle-class voters. So, you know, that's my, my pitch to them and my understanding of the numbers. And I agree with you. I, I just hope that the, that the Trump voters that have defected because they wanted a populist, because Trump would slip in some Bernie Sanders things. Trump would say, we need, we need health care like Switzerland. We need to take care of workers. He would say stuff like that. But then when he got elected, he just went full-blown borderline fascist. So I just hope that the guys that left Trump and the women, all people, will consider a candidate like myself before going back to uh, these conservative politicians. But last question, I mean, you, you have, you've articulated, I think, well, that we do need to look a little bit in the mirror when we say there's problems in California, we're governed by supermajority Democratic numbers in the legislature, all statewide offices. Um, this is a, a, a technical distinction. It's considered a statewide office, but all, but all, all the, the, uh, the, the ones that actually run statewide are, are Democrats always, and have been for decades. Um, so is, is your critique to say, well, yes, we've elected progressives, but they've taken corporate money. They've been too beholden to corporate interests, and and therefore we need the right kind of progressive in California politics. Is is that your position? Yeah, that is. And I'll just say one quick thing about your distinction with the statewide. You're exactly right. So what that means on the legal books is I'm running against the highest ranking Republican in California. Yeah, that's right, Gates, and he is is bragging that, which yeah. I find that ironic because that is going to help me. That's not going to help him, yeah. <laughs> yeah when, people, when people don't know what this race is and they're trying right. to figure it out on January 6th, Google, uh, sorry, June 6th, Googling it, they don't want to vote for the highest ranking Republican. Their policies are very unpopular, so good for him for saying that. And yes, when I, when I look at the legislature, I only see about 11 people that are in line with basic polling, which says tax the rich more. There was a proposal that if you're making a, above a million dollars, or it might've been a million and a half, let's add on an extra percent to differentiate from people that are making hundreds of thousands of millionaires. Couldn't even get Gavin to say he supports it, even though that's incredibly popular to tax millionaires different than you tax people making hundreds of thousands. We look at single payer healthcare. Single payer healthcare pulls at about 80% amongst Democrats, 60% amongst independents, and it's split with Republicans now. And we could not even get a vote in the state legislature. So that is the real irony about how crazy hyperpartisan politics is. If you listen to Sean Hannity, he calls the California Democrats communist socialists. Well, that is factually for sure incorrect because we could not even get a vote on single payer healthcare. 
you don't have to be for it or against it. I I understand it's hard because I really support it, and some of my voters are don't support single payer healthcare. But just on the factual basis, it couldn't even go to the floor. It is absolutely wrong to call California elected officials communists or socialists because they won't even vote as to whether to remove private insurance from healthcare. So that's is that's where we're at. Is that it? It's not enough to have a D by your name. What do, what do you stand for? I mean, what, what do you, are you gonna be in line with where basic polling is on super simple things that will change, change people's lives? And unfortunately, what we have is a lot of elected Democrats who are actually super corporatists, but they're okay with the LGBT community, which of course, I'm a big ally to the LGBT community. I just got endorsed by Stonewall, but it's not enough in the bluest state in the nation, disproportionately electing Democrats by a lot, Biden won two to one, to say we're okay with immigrants in the LGBT community. We need to help all middle-class people and all people that are struggling and do, do structural change to break the income inequality uh, problem that's happening in California. Uh, one last thing I wanna say is there's more billionaires in California than any other state, but that's pretty obvious because California is huge. But California has netted billionaires, gained billionaires since the pandemic. So the whole thing about what California is a super regulated, high tax state, we're going to lose all these people. That's factually not true because since the pandemic, the highest, the highest COVID safe state in the nation has gained billionaires. Billionaires have flocked to California where the problem with the taxation and the regulation, that's on the guy that's starting a Mexican restaurant that's trying to own a small hairdressing company and things like that. It's not on these mega millionaires and billionaires. And that's where we have to be clear with our messaging and ask billionaires and multi-multi-millionaires to pay more towards our schools and communities and have the guts to actually stand up for the middle class. Well, Brayden, um, I think it's amazing what you're doing. I think uh, you know this is a huge, huge district. Um, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to run in a seat like this, and um, really just congratulate you on all the hard work and the progress you've made. So, if people want to find out more about your campaign, get involved, contribute, volunteer, where can they go? Yeah, so uh, www. Just Braden for B O E. It's my name B R A D E N F O R B O E. dot com. And that'll have, you can donate there. You can sign up to volunteer. It has a map of my large district and it has information on the complication, complicated stuff that the BOE does. And I would, I would appreciate any and all support. And I really want to thank you guys for not only having me uh, today, but to take a deep dive into policy in California. I listened to a few to prepare for this housing, gun control, and the amount of thought that goes into these. And it's not flashing talking points. It's really deep thought about how to improve the lives of Californians. So I'm all about it. I really appreciate you guys and I appreciate you guys having me. Well, likewise, appreciate everything you're doing, Brad. Thanks, thanks for making the time. Okay, thank you. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. 
Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, exploring the inside political stories driving public policy in California. Powered by Neptune Ops and presented by IVC Media. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For more than 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications project in any language or location. Visit us today at ivc.media.